Hey, good to see you guys. Hey, you know what? Can we thank the worship team? What a great job today. So good. Now, by the way, one of the evidences, and we were trying to keep talking about this, one of the evidences that they are doing their job today was because you're the choir and you were so engaged. So it was so rich. And that's the whole point. This is never a production for us to watch. They're just simply leading us so we can participate. And you did a great job. Your voices on uh, this last song, High Above It All, was so great to be in among you and get to hear that. Now that song is actually from a group called For All Seasons. And they're going to be here this next Saturday night. Uh, our worship team, our worship Ministries is putting on a worship conference, and at the end of that, for us, all of us to enjoy, you're all invited. Uh, 5.30, there's going to be some food trucks on campus. 7.30, the concert's going to start. Just make a day, an evening of it. It's going to be so good. And then For All Seasons will be back with us this time next week on Sunday morning, leading worship in our main services. So we're really excited about that, and it's going to be a great time with them. Well, let me do this. You, we're really glad you're here today. You're joining us in a series called Rooted and Reaching, and we are uh, about week four now today into this series, and I want to do a couple things to kind of help us from the very beginning. In your Trinity this week, this, you got one of these. So if you want to grab your notes out, have those ready, you'll notice that those also are the questions, the prompts for your conversations in your home group this week, and uh, that'll kind of keep you tracking that way. If you have a Bible today, we're in the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. It's in the New Testament. The way I always remember those letters of Paul there to the churches was go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you find one of those four, you're going to find your way where you're going, okay? So find yourself there, Colossians chapter 2. If you want to have your your hand there ready to go, that'd be great. Here's what we're doing. I want to kind of catch you up to speed, and especially if you're a guest with us today, I want to especially welcome you and kind of catch you up to what we've been doing over the last three weeks leading up to today. We begin week one kind of pulling out to about 30,000 feet, asking the question, what's the plot? What is the Bible communicating if we pull out and try to see kind of this basic message that's being communicated? And what we, we kind of came to this conclusion is that God knows that the, the, the world he created chose to be broken. And in that brokenness, now he's redeeming it. Not just us, but all of creation. That's the plot line of the Bible, God redeeming a broken world. Now, we, we walked that through and we said that when we know that, that, you just heard me say it, you can know that that easy today. But there's a difference between knowing it and responding to it. And when you respond to that plot line, recognizing your own brokenness, your own need for a savior, it changes your priorities and it changes your perspective. It's not just something you can know, it actually changes you. Then we looked week two and we talked about this very powerful narrative about four lepers that stumble onto a camp completely outfitted with resources while right behind them was a walled city where people were literally starving to death. And they said this very, very powerful phrase, it is not right, there's a moral problem, it is not right for us to keep this good news to ourselves. And we pulled back and we asked the question, if I can know, if I have not just been made aware of, but actually have responded to in faith, the plot line of the Bible for my own life, it's not right to keep it to myself. So what do I do with that? That creates a real interesting tension. What's now the next step? And that's why Pastor Tom came last week. 
And as Tom was walking out this idea saying this, that once you've responded to the gospel, once you realize it should not be a cul-de-sac and end with you, now here's who you go to first. You go to those that you're doing life with already. He walked us through this narrative of the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. And what did Jesus say at the end? And we talked in our home group this way. This is like the only time in the Bible I can remember and anywhere in the gospels that somebody says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, no. Everybody else is welcome. And we thought, well, is Jesus just being mean? Is he? No, no, not at all. Go back to your family. Go back to your relational world. Go back to your oikos and tell them the mercy God has had on you. So that's what we do with this message, with this great news, is we go back to the people that we're doing life with. And we walked out a few different ideas related to that. Today we're taking that next step down the road. And what we're doing is this. We want to kind of see the relationship. Trinity Church, as we're walking out this, what we understand to be Jesus' mission for the church, not just Trinity, but the church, is to live a rooted in Jesus, reaching our world's life. So today we want to talk about the relationship, the, the way that those two things are connected together, to be rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. How do they connect? How do they flow out of one another? And that's kind of where we're going today. What we've been saying all throughout this series is that God has you on the planet for a purpose. You're here for far more than you often think of. And in that purpose, it relates to this idea of how to be a person of intentional influence. How to be a person who is engaging your relational world. And doing so because people that God has supernaturally, strategically placed among you, some already love Jesus, many don't. God wants to use you as a voice of influence, a person of influence in their lives. And as we're walking out this idea, that's kind of what we've been focusing on, living a rooted and reaching life, is how you accomplish God's mission for you. The now what idea today we begin with, and we'll we'll kind of bring it all together with, it's in your notes and on the screen, reaching out to my world flows from being rooted in Jesus. This is the relationship. Reaching out to my world flows out of being rooted in Jesus. Let's begin. Number one in your notes, you responded to Jesus because something about him appealed to you. Let's go all the way back. You, you, you responded to Jesus because something about him initially appealed to you. Let me explain what I mean. Think of the various commitments that you have made to people or things that you did willingly. Okay, there's a bunch of ones you're committed to, maybe not so much in your will, in, according to your will, but many that you did willingly. Let's say someone you began to date. You entered into that relationship willingly. Let's say it was ultimately someone that you would marry, your spouse. Maybe it was um, some sort of a, a job that you pursued, and no one held a gun to your head. You got to choose if you were going to take it or not. Maybe it was a friendship. Someone that you just began to get close to and invest in that relationship. Maybe it was you got involved in a a home group or a small group of some sort. You got involved in serving um, according to your gifts. Some sort of commitment that you made willingly. Now process, think about any one of those. Pick one of those and ask yourself the question, why? Why did I say yes to that? Why did I agree to get involved? And sometimes we look back and go, really, why? Why on earth did I say yes to that? But the idea is walk that out and you'll you'll realize if you boil that down, there was something about that that was appealing to you. Back to the dating relationship. She was cute. He had a nice car. (laughs) Right? 
Maybe it was uh, with a spouse. It was someone that you were looking through this lens. That's someone I could grow old with. That was appealing to you. That's someone we could do life together. Maybe related to a friend. It was someone who got you. Like meaning you didn't have to try to be someone else. You didn't have to try to, to, to perform for them. They just appreciated the you. And you thought that's, that's a relationship, a friendship I want to engage. Related to a job, it was just such a good fit. You looked at the job description. You looked at what the functions of the role. It just, it just seems like I was built for this. Or maybe even related to um, the idea of getting involved in a small group of serving, serving according to your gifts. It's because Todd told you to do that in the month of August, right? Jesus said, get in a small group, do the one another, serve according to your gifts. And you're like, okay, I better do that. Whatever it is, some of those motivators we're proud of and some maybe a little more embarrassed by. But either way, they are the things that appealed to us and what moved us to take action, That's what I want to do today. I want you to go back to the time when you responded initially to Jesus. What was it about Jesus that appealed to you? I want to caveat this a little bit this way. What I know and what the Bible teaches is that your choice to follow Jesus, there was something that you definitely did. There was something that drew you to him. But realize, we said, and we'll allude to our Ephesians series last fall a few times today. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we found out that every one of us, you included, were born into this world spiritually dead. You could not respond to spiritual stimuli because you were spiritually dead. So God did something to quicken you. God was doing something to wake you up. But as he was waking you up, something about Jesus appealed. And for those of you in the room who have put your faith in Jesus... I want you to walk back to that moment. This is how it was for Paul as he is talking to the church at Colossae. Chapter 2, verse 6. So then, what we're doing is Paul in in Colossians 1 has laid out this amazing prayer. Just powerful prayer for the Colossians. And then he talks about the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is by far and away the most important, the best thing about anything that's ever happened and we deserve, he deserves our allegiance for us to follow him. So he's now tra- changing thoughts, beginning of chapter 2. So then, as a result of this, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Right out of the gate, Paul is going to identify two things that were compelling. Two things that were appealing to the believers at Colossae. This letter he's writing to them. And the first one is that as Lord. You responded to, to Jesus Christ as Lord. And this Lord idea was, is capital L Lord that Jesus is God. He deserves, because of his authority and his deity, he deserves that we would obey, we would submit ourselves to him. That, that was one appeal that Jesus had in the lives of the believers at Colossae. The other one, though, is even the kind of title, Jesus Christ. Christ is another word for Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for this long-awaited one that was going to come and make everything new. So Paul says, just as you received, right, there was a response, there was something you, you can't, no one just can make you take a gift, you have to receive it. Just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord. Two reasons why the Colossians might have been drawn to or that would appeal about Jesus. He was Lord and he was Christ. He was Messiah. These are consistent biblically all throughout the the New Testament and even anecdotally or by way of narrative description in the Gospels in the book of Acts. These are reasons why people say, I'm going to follow Jesus. There's a few others, though, that come to mind as well. Something like maybe Jesus' power to forgive sin. 
Just, just that, that, just right there. I, I need that. Maybe Jesus's ability to rescue and redeem from darkness and despair, hopelessness. I, I need that. Maybe what appealed to you is just simply the, this, this kind of selfless love you had never, ever found in any other person before. And that friendship drew you to Jesus. These are other factors that may have played into that besides these two that Paul enunciates. If you remember, I told Zach today I was going to talk about him. Zach shared on Father's Day up on this stage, and he was sharing about his, his life and the reasons why he came to Jesus. And all of it was kind of um, a lot of pieces going on. But one huge piece was a small group who actually in their, their heads and hearts said, we, we actually want, we're looking for someone who doesn't follow Jesus yet to come in relationally in this group and have a safe place to talk, a safe place to process, a safe place to ask questions, a safe place to disagree. We're looking for one of those kinds of people, and Zach was that guy. He came with his wife, Dana. And as they were processing, what, what Zach shared that day was not only through that group, but through the scriptures As they were helping make it clear, he came to this point where he said, Jesus is indeed who the Bible says he is, and I believe in him. A couple months ago, Jenny Stevenson was on this stage, and she was sharing her story. And as Jenny was walking out a a, a home life that was so broken and so challenging, she shared that one thing that really drew her to Jesus initially, and then even later on at a very crux kind of decision-making time in her life, was the way that Jesus could restore And the way that Jesus could heal the brokenness around her and the brokenness in her. These are things that appeal to us. Why do we actually follow Jesus? And that's the question I want to ask you today. In your notes on the screen, why did you, why did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? That's the question I want to unpack. So let's do this. I want to summarize both those two that Paul gives in Colossians 2, but as well as a few others. These are typically some of the reasons that people initially are, are respond to and are and what appeals to them about who Jesus is. The first is this: that Jesus is commander. Jesus is commander. And you're going to see some alliteration today. Today's message is brought to you by the letter C. Okay, and um, but this is that definition: Jesus is rightfully Lord, and there's a need to respond appropriately to His authority over one's life. If this was for you, as you witnessed his power or his deity, and you understood you needed to submit to him. Here's a a narrative by way of example from John 20. Then he said to Thomas, he is Jesus. Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. This is the resurrected Jesus. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas came face to face with the authority and deity of Jesus and said, "This, you are who you are. You are who you say you are. He is commander. He, is, he has authority over us. Second one, Christ. When we looked at already by name, Jesus is the fulfillment of the God who, of what, who God promised would come and make all things new. Remember, we have in your Bible, you have 39 books of a former covenant, 39 books of the Old Testament, that all, literally every single book in that sequence point to a Messiah who was promised that would come, remember we said a few weeks ago, who would step on the head of the snake, the snake crusher. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, he is showed, alluded to, demonstrated to be one who was coming. And when you read of the Jesus of the Gospels, you go, this is who this is. John chapter 1, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. John had said, here comes the the Savior of the world. He takes away the sin of the world. 
he had followed Jesus. Watch this, the first thing. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. The one that God said specifically, the Christ, we found him. That might have been your story. Third, champion. Champion is another thing that was appealing potentially to you. Jesus rescues from sin and death and brings people into his new kingdom. This might have been for you the idea that you came face to face with the understanding that you were a sinner who was bound for an eternal destiny apart from God. And you realize that does not sound like good news. And you responded to the one who defeated death and who could make a way for you to be right with God. From John chapter 4, I love this story. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because of the woman. This is the woman at the well, this account. Believed because of her testimony. What did she say? He told me everything I ever did. That's all she had to say. And everyone knew who the woman was, so she was saying a lot. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man, watch, really is the savior of the world. He is our champion. Fourthly, cleanser. Jesus can cleanse. He has the power to forgive sins and to make one clean in a way that you never thought possible. Maybe you were overwhelmed with the weight of your guilt and shame and just said, I cannot get out from underneath this. I need someone to fix this, someone to change me. And that's what was appealing to you about Jesus. I love this story, Luke chapter 7. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Simon was the one who invited him to his house. This woman was an unforeseen guest who also comes. Did you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not pour, put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, she has been forgiven much. She is grateful much. But who forever has been given, forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. It overwhelmed this woman that she could be forgiven for all. She knew her life. She looked in the mirror. She knew what was there. She could not believe that someone could actually cleanse her of that. And when she knew that Jesus could, she was overflowing with gratitude. Finally, and I needed another C word, compadre. <laughs> compadre. This is a little bit different than Jesus is my homeboy. Okay, I'm not going there. But, but compadre is this great word for this sense of friendship, right? And I, I say that all the time, even with my close friends. I go, hey, compadre, what do you got going on today? I liked using that phrase because it shows the sense of connection. It shows a deep friendship. Maybe for you, you struggled with the disloyalty you saw all around you, people who wanted you for what they could get from you, and then you came in contact with Jesus, and you realized Jesus came to give himself to you, a selfless love you didn't think existed. John 15, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Watch, I have called you friends, compadres. We have that closeness for everything that I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. 
Commander, Christ, champion, cleanser, compadre, all of these things, these things are are indeed appealing about the person of Jesus. Every one of them is true. Question, what was the one, if you could boil it down, what was the one that drew you initially to him? Identify that, maybe even for your home group or for your own thoughts, circle, circle the one that especially go, this is the one that really was initially so important to me. And watch this. I find this all the time with people. What initially drew me to Jesus, of those five, it's interesting, you'd go, this was the one that really was initially so important, but it's actually this one over here that has become so much important as the years have gone by. None of them are wrong. There's no wrong answer. This is all the way Jesus presents himself in scripture, and to respond to him is exactly appropriate. And as we grow in him, we keep getting to know these other dynamics of who he is. And that leads us to our next point today. What do we do once we've responded? Number two, once you receive Jesus, you're directed to keep living in him. Once you respond, once you receive, I love that word, you were received. It was a gift offered to you. Once you received him, you're directed to keep living in him. Back to Colossians 2. We'll read it from the beginning. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue that way, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. One of the things that I have tried to make much of whenever I'm teaching from the word of God are imperative verbs. Imperative verbs are in every single language, and they're there because every language has parents. Okay? An imperative verb is a command, a directive. Pick up your clothes, eat your breakfast, go to bed. Okay, that's why that exists. So there's nothing unique to the Greek language or the English language of an imperative verb. They're everywhere. But in the Greek language, this verb is very, very important. Continue in him is something we're directed to do. You're going to see today the impact of what is commanded and what happens to us. What is active, what is passive. Initially, continue to live in him. There is a, a direction that once we respond to Jesus and begin a covenant relationship with him, following him, we're expected to continue in the way we began. Like we said in our Ephesians series, one thing that was rich through all six of these books or chapters within the book of Ephesians was the idea of being in Christ, in him. And we kept learning that to be in Jesus deeply connects to our identity. Deeply connects to our sense of worth. Deeply connects to our ambition that we would align ourselves with what Jesus would say is important. That's what it means to live in him. To be in him is to follow him. To follow his example and to live a life that looks the way he lived when he lived among us. Let's take a look at now some of those other phrases. The next phrase, it's in your notes and on the screen. Rooted in him. That's the first thing, continue to live in him. Rooted, the Greek word here, it means to cause to take root. And and obviously, it's not a literal term. You don't have literal roots that run through your feet and legs out into something. But it is a metaphor. It's to plant, to fix firmly, to establish. Rooted in Jesus, to be planted, to be fixed firmly in him. This is a metaphor from a a, a horticulture's point of view, a living thing that extends roots into the soil for the purpose of anchoring it, of stability, of nutrition. This is what I want you to see today, though, very, very important. This word, rooted, is a participle. And it's not just a participle, but it's tense. It's perfect tense, passive voice. Watch this. Continue in him, rooted, 
And that word is a passive word. It's being done to you. Simple question today, who's doing the rooting and how is it happening? Who's doing the rooting and how is it happening? Continue in him rooted as though something were working, forcing itself, working upon you and not you trying harder. This interesting tension we're going to find today of what is God's part and what is my part in the relationship. Take a look at this picture. I just love it because I think it just sings a a beautiful example. Here's this massive, huge tree, moss-covered, but within the branch of one of the trees is another tree coming to life. This beautiful idea of being rooted in a living thing. Jesus, the massive tree, you, the little baby tree. But watch this. Who planted that seed? What farmer went up there and said, this is a great place for a little baby tree? Right? Right? As that seed is planted and now the roots are growing, something is happening upon that. And that's what this passage is saying, that this rooted in Jesus idea, there is something deeply about this relationship, about that process that Jesus is orchestrating. See, what you've done today is you've walked in the room because I've been to plenty of church like you've been to plenty of church and you've heard people continually say how much more you have to do, how much more you've got to figure out, how much better you've got to be at this. And here's what I want you to hear. Yes, there is an active role in my relationship with Jesus, but I dare not ever think it's on me. Continue to live in him, rooted by Jesus. Jesus is rooting you to himself. Watch this in your notes. Since Jesus is doing the rooting, the establishing, you can take confidence in what he's doing to help you become connected in him. You can have confidence that he is not giving up on you. He is not cast you aside. He is not through. But he's continuing to root you into himself. It also means that since you have become rooted in Jesus right from the beginning, right? These Colossian believers had not been following Jesus for decades. Paul writes a letter to the early church. It had literally been months, days, maybe a couple of years at best for these Colossian believers. And there were new ones coming to faith all the time. This is not like how long after you become a Christian, now you're seeing Jesus at work. Jesus was at work day one, rooting you into himself. There's no probationary period that you have to wait for until you can begin knowing him and living for him. That's a big part of what Tom was sharing last week. And, and one of the things you have to appreciate about Tom, he, he made a point, and I don't, I don't think many of us, it was either at the seminar or when he was preaching, that, that he's been in this for 63 years. You look at him and go, how old are you? He's 63. So what he means is he grew up in a pastor's home. He's never not been connected to not just church, but how churches work and what they do, and then having pastored one for 34 years in the desert. And one of the things he was bringing out in the seminar is so often we say, someone comes to Christ and we immediately go, we got to throw them in a bunch of classes. Because why? Because we're afraid they might say the wrong thing to someone they would want to talk to Jesus about. And I'm telling you, the more that we keep doing that, and more we say, you know what, you can't really talk to people about Jesus till you get all your theology right. Praise God the woman at the well didn't wait for that. What did she know? He told me everything I did. 
It's all I know about him. But I know he must be someone I've never encountered before. Come and see. The Bible is not, nor am I presenting some sort of anti-intellectual faith. You're going to see just a minute the balance to this. But what I want you to see is this. As important as it is, is helping people continue to grow and learn about Jesus in the early days of their faith. It's also so important that as they're connected to a bunch of people in their world who don't love Jesus yet, that they begin from day one to understand their mission. That we don't have to put them through all of these rigors of academia before they can ever share their faith. They can share what they know. I know that he deserves my obedience because he's a commander. I know that he is who the Bible claims he is. I know that he's someone who can save me from eternity, from hell. I know that he can cleanse me at a level I've never thought possible. I know he is a friend closer than a brother. I at least know that much. And that's what we want to be about is we want to say, God, you've given us this mission and the mission doesn't start once I've gone to seminary. The mission begins now. And what I know I can share. I want you to see the same Greek word, by the way, having been rooted is kind of really the best way to to get the tense of it. It shows up in, again, the book of Ephesians and one of the best passages we saw, this great prayer that Paul writes on their behalf. He's praying for them, chapter three. And as I pray for you, look at the connection to love in this passage. And as I pray for you being rooted and established, what? In love. It's almost so it's synonymous to be rooted in Jesus is to be rooted in love. May, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp what? The dimensions. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Paul's praying deeply to a rooted people. I want you to know the dimensions of his love. And watch this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just about how much you can cram into your head. It even goes well beyond that. Surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure Of the fullness of God. Back to Colossians 2. Next phrase. To be built up in him. To be built up in him. And the first directive was a clarification of Jesus rooting us into himself. Then the second phrase borrows from a construction concept. And it centers around the idea of building upon a foundation. I didn't bring this out in your notes. But the word there is actually the word that Tom was using so much last week. Oikos. Oikos relates not only to a relational world it actually, or a family, it relates to actually where the family might live, like a house, a home. And that's the word there, building upon a foundation, building up a structure based on a solid foundation. If roots are that which establish health and vitality below the surface, then the, what is being built up is what you can see above the surface. Jesus, and by the way, this is another passive verb. So it's really asking this. It's not what are you going to build on your foundation. Are you available to let Jesus build what he wants to in your life? Are you malleable? Are you teachable? Are you flexible where he can say, I, the foundation is Jesus. What I'm building above that, would you work with me? Would you be a good partner? Rooted. Being built up. One commentator said it this way. It's the idea of being in fellowship with Christ to grow in spiritual life. I'm available to be built. I'm available to be shaped any way you want to, Jesus. And that last phrase, strengthen in the faith as you were taught. Strengthen in the faith. That word strengthen, the, the Greek word, it literally means to walk where it's solid. 
It's a cool word. To walk where it's solid or where it's reliable. You've been in certain things before, like, um, I guess maybe the one that might be the, the most vivid, even though a lot of us don't go ice walking on lakes in Southern California. But uh, if you can at least get the picture that to walk out on a lake would be very, very scary for any of us in Southern California because we think they're always all going to fall through. But then you watch people in Minnesota play hockey, and you're like, how does that happen? Well, there's a thickness that they have a confidence. There's a reliability. No one's falling through this. As opposed to there's a fresh layer of ice, and now you're just wondering where the safe spots are. Being strengthened, walking where it's reliable based on what they've been taught. For some of us, you might feel like that's actually an, ox- an oxymoron. Reliability and faith. Like, strengthen in the faith as you were taught. Strengthen knowing where it's reliable to walk on based on faith. Because you've kind of done this. You've maybe kind of assumed that faith is, is this kind of blind step into nothingness where you just kind of think Pollyannish thoughts. Everything is going to be great. That, that's not the faith the Bible represents at all. Faith is actually this. You have a very strong confidence in the reliability, the trustworthiness of God, and your circumstances are a mess. The circumstances scream, don't believe that God can get you through this, but who's reliable? Not the circumstances, but the God that you step onto. That was the whole stuff of our Faith Step series this last summer. Growing a confidence in God because we've seen the faith Stories of other people who said, God, I trust you in the midst of chaos. I believe that you're reliable and I can step out. It's the other resources that we would look to in our lives or our own self-reliance. That's where it's not reliable. Those are the things we usually hold on to in the midst of crazy. Those aren't the things at all that will help us. Instead, it's a reliability of God as we step onto him. Here at Trinity Church, we're committed to teach the word of God week in, week out, and not just from this stage, but in our home groups, in our small groups, and all our youth ministries, children's ministries. This is what we're about. We're committed to this, and we will continue to be. But I want you to hear this. There are, are some of us that would say, okay, this is great, and I come to church so that I can hear from God, and then I kind of wait seven or more days to do it again. And that's kind of where this is coming from. And, and I want to say this, that as, as much as we're committed to continue to teach the word of God and his rescue of the world, that there's a component that that's probably not going to be as sufficient. It shouldn't be. That, that you would rely on a, a church leadership team to do that for you when God would really want to have an engaging relationship with you much more consistently. Now, many of you already are very much engaged in some sort of personal study and time with the Lord on a daily basis. That's great. And I'm not talking to you. But for those who are not, and, and let's drop the pretense. Let's drop that crazy, oh, yeah, sure, I do that once a month, you know, let's drop that. Let's be honest for a second. And if that's not you, here's what I'm kind of convinced of in my conversations and even my own seasons of my life. The reason why we're not more consistent in time, just kind of set apart and alone with Jesus is because sometimes we just don't know how to. Sometimes we just don't know where to begin. That Bible's pretty thick that you're looking at and you're like, I don't even know where to start. How do I, and and I lose interest. You know, by the time I get to Leviticus, you know, the whole thing, How, how do I do this? So I want to give you a tool today. This is a new app that I'm very excited about called Read Scripture. And I'm surely not telling you about it because everyone needs to do this. But if you're stuck, if you're having a hard time being consistent in the Word, here's a new tool to try. And that's what I found. In my times of dryness, I just needed, or my times of, you know, I haven't really even started this. I just needed a tool. I needed an idea. I needed a catalyst. 
The thing you might, and by the way, this is so simple. <laughs> You're, you might get into it and go, Todd, what in the world? This is not helpful. It's literally reading through the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. There's nothing to it, but watch. I've showed you a few Bible Project videos. Bible Project is a group of guys that have come together and just, they really want to help us understand how this particular passage or this book out of 66 relates to the whole. So what's cool about this app is that it's, it's totally littered with Bible Project videos. So I'm actually in, I'm reading this, I'm using this app. I'm in the book of Leviticus right now where I would be tempted to check out. But already there have been two videos. I'm only in like chapter seven or eight. There have already been two videos that have done this. It's kind of pulled out to 30,000 feet and told me why Leviticus is so important in the whole scheme of things. I can keep going. That's helpful. It's helpful to know how this fits into the whole. So that's been a struggle for you, not just kind of time with the Lord, but even like, I don't know how this all fits together. Try that. It's an app you can get on your phone, your iPad, your Android, whatever. It's for everything. But just there's at least a resource and a tool. Finally, number three today, as you're living in Jesus, the overflow reaches into your relationships. As you're living in Jesus, as you continue to live in him, that relationship it, it overflows into your relationships. Here's the last part. Back, we'll read the whole thing. Colossians 2, 6. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. Now, we get to that last little phrase, and it looks as though Paul's just kind of attached it. You know, he said all this really great theology. And oh, by the way, you should be thankful. It's kind of how it reads. But I just want you to know that's not it at all. The previous three participles, and there's three there, rooted, um, built up, and strengthened, those three, what they all have in common is they're all in the passive voice. Something happening to you. What's different about this last phrase is it's something that you are called to do. It's an active voice. Earlier we saw that Jesus is the one rooting us in him. Jesus is the one establishing us on a foundation he's built. Jesus is the one helping us to see that if we walk in him, we are walking on reliable ground. But now we get an active participle, overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with thankfulness. This is something we're actually directed to do. And here's the weird thing to me. It's probably weird to you. Why would God need to remind us, need to encourage us, need to tell us to be grateful? Look at who he has been and who he's made known to us. Jesus is your commander. Jesus is your Christ. Jesus is your champion. Jesus is your cleanser. Jesus is your compadre. That is a lot to be thankful for. Can I get a yay God? Okay, this is great news. This has come to you. So why would someone have to tell you to be grateful about it? Well, do this. Think back to a time when, no matter what the issue or subject was, think back to a time when you were overflowing with thankfulness. Think about it. When is a time that you were overflowing with thankfulness? Maybe it had something to do with your children. Just so grateful for what had gone on in their lives. Maybe it was something to do related to your health. Just so grateful for some kind of good news you got. Maybe it was related to your finances. Maybe it was related to your marriage. Whatever the issue is, think of a time when you are overflowing with thankfulness. And this is what happened next. In that overflow of thankfulness, you called every person that you knew was praying for you, that you knew was concerned about this issue, and you wanted to be the first to tell them how this went down. 
Actually, phones aren't really this anymore. It's more this, so. <laughs> I apologize. I, just as I did that, I thought, most of you think I'm holding a banana next to my head. Okay, so you did that. Others, others, the next step was you put it all over social media. And all of your social media platforms, you were sharing, this awesome thing happened. I want you to rejoice with me. Others of you did this. So you were in a conversation with just people in some casual way. You figured out a way to, to some maneuver and you know, force your thing in there because you're just like, I know, I know you guys are talking about the gas and how much gas costs right now, but I want to tell you about this amazing thing that happened to me. Because that's what you do when you're overflowing with thankfulness. Watch this. You share it with the people that you're connected to. You just do. You just do. And now all of a sudden, you're connecting dots already. Oh, there was the guilt trip. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. I was waiting for it. It was all pretty good till we got to there. No, no. Watch this. Here, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that many of you in this room who love Jesus and are following him, you are grateful. You are thankful. And, and, and it does overflow. It brims up and it overflows. But watch this. In certain relationships. Here's how I know that. Um, I was a freshman in college and I came back for homecoming to the, Umi- the mighty Ukaipa High School. Um, not, not at the field. I'm too old for that. It was at U of R. But uh, as I come back for homecoming, I got my letterman's jacket on. I'm interacting. I've had a great, great initial semester at Bible College. And I remember um, a couple friends coming up to me who were also believers going, Hey, Todd, how's your semester been? I thought, Oh, God, it's so good. I had such a rich time. I truly had. And I was overflowing with thankfulness. Then, then I walk up to another couple of friends, and these friends I didn't know had a relationship with Jesus. They taught how's the college bit. College is so good. And literally, as the words were coming out of my mouth, because by the way, I had gone to a public high school and pretty much kind of blended in, chameleoned to the rest of my culture. Didn't really stand out at all for Jesus, even though I loved him. It was very secretive. It was one of the things heavy on my heart. I wanted to come back to my friends and I wanted to show them Jesus because I hadn't done a good job of that. And my very first opportunity, I remember the words coming out of my mouth, just wanting to pull them back. No, it's not just that college is good. God is so good. I'm convinced you struggle like I do. And the struggle is, God, I don't know how to share truth about powerful spiritual things in my life with people who don't believe powerful spiritual things happen. I don't know how to bridge that gap in a way that's not awkward, silly, weird. I, I don't know how to do that. And so for, for fear of that, I kind of flatten things out. And I talk about how good life is, but I don't talk about how good God is. And I want to encourage you with something today. That's what the rest of this series is about. To live a reaching life, reaching into the world, your overflowing thankfulness should touch every relationship, even the ones of people who don't love Jesus yet. And watch this, it can when you begin to do a few things that Pastor Tom left us with. You were here, some of you at our seminar on Saturday, and because the rest of you weren't, I want to make sure you heard this. He put a slide up that said this. And the whole point of this idea was, how do I begin, if I really feel compelled that the people in my world should know Jesus too, where does it all start? And he gave us these five steps. They're the same steps we're going to finish with today. Number one, make a list. Make a list. And what that means is there's people in your relational world, I've heard Tom say this so many times before, if you feel like that you're compelled to have to share the gospel with everyone, you won't share it with anyone. And I'm completely convinced that's true. 
So where do you begin? That's what we said earlier today. If it's not right to keep this good news to myself, where do I start? Start with the people you do life with. Make a list. Make a list of the people in your relational world. Number two, begin praying for that list. Begin praying for those people. And as you're praying for God to be at work, some of the people in your relational world are believers. They love Jesus. Pray for their encouragement and growth. Other people on your list are not following Jesus yet. Pray that they would know him and pray for organic conversations, opportunities where you can overflow with thankfulness and name the one you're thankful for. Number three, begin investing in lives. See, some of us rub shoulders with people every single day, but we've never really invested. We've never really begun to say, you know what? You matter to God. You matter to me. How do I begin to show that to you, demonstrate that to you? And as you're investing, you're inviting. You're inviting people then into things. And this is what's so great when Hilke mentioned today, gathering at the well, ladies, this is an entry point event. This is an opportunity for the women that you have been praying for that are on your list or in your world, the people that you have been investing in. We're creating an an idea, an opportunity just to say, just come and see. Come and see what the women of Trinity are like. Come and see who the Jesus is that they love. That's all it is. And there's going to be so many more opportunities. There always are that we've been doing here at Trinity Church for a long time. Entry point events are what we especially invite people to. And fifthly, be prepared. Prepare. And that's our job. That's the leadership at Trinity Church. We want to keep preparing you to continue to be a source of influence in your relational world. And this is how I want to finish today. As you've heard this idea today, what it means to be rooted in Jesus, what it means to be now reaching into your world with thankfulness. Let that be the catalyst, thankful for who God is and what Jesus has done for you. Then think this way. If you're like, Todd, I'm still lost. I don't know how I'm going to do this. That is such great news because that's what we're going to talk about next week. Keep coming. We're laying out. We're laying out an idea. There's more pieces to this puzzle. So as we do this today, as we are grateful, as we are thankful for what God is doing in us, we are doing this. We are reaching out into your world, and it flows from being rooted in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, a people who... We said, yea, God, with gusto because we meant it. You have changed our everything. And, and like Jesus told the man he had healed, we want to go back to our worlds, back to our people, and we want to tell them of the mercy you've had on us. Father, thank you for what you have done to root us in you. And now help us, God, to continue to think of how in the world, how do we begin to be influential in our relationships, especially with those who don't love Jesus yet. If you're here today and that actually fits you, you haven't really ever responded to Jesus, you haven't ever begun to follow him, maybe today these five things we looked at initially, one of those was especially significant to you. One of those just kind of lifted off the page and you began to think, is is it really true that Jesus is that? I want to tell you it is. He's all five of those and more. And what I want to encourage you today to do is take that first step. Take that first step that everyone in this room who's following Jesus today, they all began somewhere. Take that first step of faith of following Jesus, and it begins with something like these ABCs. A is to admit. To admit that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. To admit that there's something wrong in your relationship with Almighty God, and it's on you. 
And when you say that, you're simply admitting what every other person in this room already knows about themselves and about you. Be believe. Believe that this Jesus we've talked about today, believe that he entered into our world to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death, to be raised supernaturally on the third day. Believe he's the only savior available. And see is choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I do believe in who you are, and now I want to follow you in my life, live the way you lived here all the way to heaven. That decision is something you can make right here, right now, and I would just plead with you today, don't leave this place till you have. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in and through us, and we get excited for our future. We pray in your great name today. Amen.